to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have nots, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1, 17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. You are listening to episode number 89. Jill, 89. 89. 89 episodes. And this is Bonnie Walters, our friend in real life that we have been friends with for more than 10 years. Um, That's when I met Bonnie, but Jill, how many years have you probably known Bonnie? I mean, I've been in Owasso for 15, so probably yeah. around then. Yeah. We're friends from church. Our kids have grown up together, been in school together and activities and youth group. And so we share a lot of life with this amazing friend. And she has some amazing stories that she shares with us today, which are going to remind all of us, God still does miracles in a big way. Just um, kind of a trigger warning, we are going to be talking some domestic violence situations in this story um, and alcoholism, so just to let you know, but it is a fascinating story of God's redemption and restoration for all of us, so listen in. Hi, Bonnie. Thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So we're glad to have you, and we have all been friends for a really long time. So listeners, some kind of fun backstory is that we all go to the same church and our kids have been friends with each other for 10 years or more. And that's a really sweet bond that we share. And we have even shared Halloweens together. Many Halloweens. Many Halloweens (laughs) of going out on the driveway and we would all kind of potluck it together with bringing a soup or whatever and eat together. And then have a sugar cookie decorating table The Wall's famous <laughs> trick-or-treating sugar cookie table. Yes. yes. And then there was one year when we couldn't make it. A time schedule just got out of control for us. And I'd made all the sugar cookies, so I just decided to set up the table in our driveway at that oh. point. And we had it at our house. So we started doing it at our house, and then yeah. COVID kind of threw a kink into that. Yeah. But yeah. but we originally started coming to the walls because we lived so far out in the country that there was nobody to trick-or-treat. And nobody came to our house because we were kind of out in the boonies, mm-hmm. which Robin knows really well. <laughs> yes, yes listeners the first time i tried to drive my daughter to bonnie's house to hang out with her daughter megan uh i accidentally drove about 45 minutes past her house oh my goodness yeah she, by the time she ended up in the driveway she was like how is it that you come to our church <laughs> You're so far away. did you end up in claremont i think i was I, even past claremont i, I think it like I, I really don't know where it, the Google Maps rounded her, but it was somewhere oh, far, far away. Wow. And so, okay. she had run that day, and so she was really, really tired. Yeah. I tell you what, those of you that <clears throat> know me well enough to know, you never ask Robin for directions. <laughs> <laughs> so I have many gifts, and 
That's not Navigational one. skills are not included. <laughs> well, Bonnie, would you tell our listeners a little introduction into who you are and just your a snapshot of your family and your life and job, that kind of thing? Yeah, um, well, I'm Bonnie Walters, and I've been married to Chris for 33 years. It's a long time. Um, we have four kids, um, Becca, Jesse, and Megan, who has now decided she wants to go by Tanae. So we're getting used to calling. It's her middle name. And she just, she likes being an individual. And there's lots of Megans out there, but there's only one today. There you go. There we go. So, and then Caleb. So we have the four kids. um, And the three girls all went to college and then all have moved back into the Tulsa area. And... um, we, as a family, go run together on Saturdays and then go back to somebody's house and eat breakfast together. And so, That's so cool. Chris and the girls are all training to run a half marathon in April. I am not running a half marathon. <laughs> I'm just running. Are you going to do the Oklahoma City Memorial one? Yeah, that is that's a the very one there. Run. Awesome. I'm doing the 5K, which will actually be the Saturday before, and then they'll run on Sunday. But nice. we've been training for that for, or they've been training. So they're up to 10 and a half miles this next Saturday. They'll be doing 11 miles. So every, they'll run Saturday morning and they go the same distance two Saturdays in a row and then add a half mile. So they've been working on this for a long time to get up to 11 miles. Wow. I love it. <clears throat> yeah. But I love that I, that we just have fun together as a family, and I enjoy that. It's fun and to have them close. you also work with your spouse, which yes. is kind of a cool thing. That a lot of people might think, wow, just how do y'all do that? But tell about that. Um, so we um, started an accounting business together. Gosh, it's been, it's been a long time ago, 13, 14 <laughs> years at this point. I'm not even sure. Um, but it had always been a dream of ours to own a business together. And we just enjoy doing life together. I enjoy working alongside of them. Not not to say that we always agree on everything, but we we really work really well together. And I enjoy that. Well, I can speak from a client's point of view that you... So can I. <laughs> but they do a great job for us. And I just don't have to worry about anything with all of the documents every April 15th. Or actually, it's usually me filing an extension. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, on to join the uh, yeah. Join the crew. <laughs> As my tax stuff sits over here in the corner. So, I can tell you a fun story. Okay. So, when Chris and I were first dating... Um, I had gone to visit him. I'm from Minnesota. He's from Texas. And I'd gone to visit him. It was spring break. And it was right after we had gotten engaged. And it was the first time I had earned enough money that I had to file a tax return. I had never done that before. Didn't know what I was doing. He was the one who put it all together. Got it all ready. You owe $150. And I just looked at him. I'm like, I don't have $150. And he paid my taxes. Aww. So here we are, how many years later, and we're still doing, <laughs> doing taxes. taxes together. <laughs> Although he does the taxes, I do other things. But So but, how did you and Chris meet? Um, I, in college, worked at a Christian family guest ranch in Colorado. And I made really good friends with one of my bunk mates, Christy. And um, she invited me to come down and visit her in Texas on spring break, and she set me up on a blind date with Chris. Oh. 
and I went home. To your your bunkmate. <laughs> yes, and I went home and I told everybody that I'd met the man I was going to marry. And you were right. Well, I had had this. I don't know what. Just this impression from very young that I would know when I'd found the right one. And so I would date somebody and go, yep, you're not it. There was just not this whatever. And then in college, I wrote a list of things that I wanted in a spouse. Well, one of the things I wanted, not necessarily in a spouse, but in children, is I wanted blue-eyed kids. My dad has blue eyes. So in order for me to have blue eyes, kids, he would have to have the blue eyes because I just carry the recessive trait. Mm -hmm. And so I played... Prayed for the blue eyes, and he's got those baby blues. <laughs> and your girls. Um, let's see, which of the kids have blue eyes? Jesse has blue mm-hmm. eyes. Tanae's got kind of a gray-blue eyes. Becca's more my color eyes. And Caleb also has blue eyes, although that's another story. But Caleb is adopted. Mm-hmm. But he looks so much like our family he does. He and in our Absolutely. traits. That I had a friend one time who said that, he knew, God knew that I couldn't carry anymore. And so he had somebody else carry my baby for me. <laughs> because he just, I, we took, I think it was like six month pictures of Jesse and Caleb at the same age. And you can't tell which one's wow. which. They look so much alike at that age. That's really he really incredible. does just fit into the family. So tell us how you became a believer. That's a very interesting story, and it kind of goes back to my childhood. I um, grew up in what I call a mixed family. My mom is a believer, um, and my dad is was was not. Mm-hmm. Um, my we grew up in a Catholic church, so it was really weird in what I was being taught in church. But my mom also attended evangelical things where there was lots of praying in tongues and laying on hands and all. So I got exposed to a lot more than just the the Catholic church. And it got to the point where I had a lot of head knowledge Mm -hmm. about who God was at that point because I learned and I learned to to kind of read my Bible. That was something I wanted to do. Um, But my dad was an alcoholic. But God, from the time I was little, did so many different things to reveal himself to me that he was God. Um, There was one time my brother and I had been fighting over one of those bouncy balls in the backyard. Don't ask me how we did it. I stretched out my hand. He ran over the top of my hand. And when I came into my mom and I could take the my pinky finger and touch the <gasps> side of my palm, I was like, I think there's a problem. Oh. <laughs> and so we uh, went in and, and it was dislocated and there was a hairline fracture. And so I had to wear one of those braces on my finger for a while. And so I fervently prayed that God would heal my hand. We went in for a checkup, and everything was healing really well. And we got back in the car, and I just started bawling. Mom, why didn't God heal me? I believed. Why didn't he heal me? And her encouragement to me was just to keep praying. Okay, so I'll keep praying. We went back for a follow-up and went in, took the x-rays, waited. Doctor came out there. This quizzical look on his face, he's like, I think we took a picture of the wrong hand. No, you took the picture of the right hand. It was the right hand. He said, "There's normally there's like a scar from where the bone heals. He said, there's no scar, no nothing. 
And that was the first time that I ever felt like God heard me Mm. and answered a child's prayer. Um, There's just, there's more stories that could continue for hours. But in my family, my dad was an alcoholic. And that all kind of came to a head one night. Um, I can remember lots of nights lying in bed and hearing dad's truck rumble in and knowing they're just having no idea what would happen what would the night be like mm-hmm. how much had he had to drink would he be in a good mood or in a bad mood you know if he'd argued with somebody at the bar it didn't matter that mom wasn't there it was all her fault so she got pulled into the arguments and fights and it was me and my brother my brother's four years younger than me but he always he was the the hider he hid Mm-hmm. Stayed in this room, never came out. Mm-hmm. I was the bold one and felt like I was the one who would stand up for my mom when I felt like she was being bullied by dad. And so Oldest one night. Child. Yeah. Yeah. And so there was one night when he was just, I couldn't have no idea what he was, the argument was about, but definitely arguing. And I went and, and stood up on the steps until he saw me our house was a split level so I was sitting on the steps and when he finally saw me he told me to go to bed and it's like I can't because you're you're so loud and you're arguing so after a little while we went downstairs and went to bed went to bed and the arguing continued with mom and dad and I went and stood in the, the the doorway and told them that if he didn't settle down, I was going to call the cops. How old are you at this point? Mm -hmm. Um, I'd have to look back, but I think 15, 16. I think it was right before my 16th birthday. Or the the spring, summer before my 16th birthday. And um, he called me lots of really fun names that I would never repeat. And then he followed me back into my bedroom. And I can't remember everything that happened. I just remember him being on top of me with his hands on my neck. And I'm looking him straight in the eye. Mm -hmm. And there's absolutely nothing but pure hatred in his eyes for me at that point. Mm -hmm. And that, that protection of God, I didn't feel anything more than just hands on my throat. But I could, I, for all he was worth at that point in time, he was choking me. Well, my mom came into the room, had followed us in, and then she's trying to pull dad off of me. He kind of throws her up against my nightstand, and she's like, Bonnie, just be calm, stay in here, just be quiet. And she goes back into the bedroom, and at this point, he won't even let her into the bedroom or into the bed. And so I did what I originally said I was going to do. <laughs> I went upstairs and called the police. And this is back, way back before 911 and whatever. And so I called the police. <clears throat> and then I went back downstairs. And I got called a lot more names again. And nobody was going to take him from our home. And so I threw on shoes and a house coat. And I ran outside thinking I'm going to head towards town. They'll be coming. I'll be able to flag them down because... Did you live outside of town? <clears throat> mm-hmm. We lived uh, three miles outside of town. 
What time of the night was all of this happening? I honestly, it was dark. Mm -hmm. I have no idea Mm -hmm. what time it was, but it was, it was nighttime. And then, um, so I'm, I'm headed towards town and he, he was going to go get his guns. And that was part of the reason I was running. I was going to flag them down and let them know because he was, nobody's taking me, no how, no way. And as I'm running, I hear one gunshot, then a second gunshot, and then a third gunshot. And I can remember just standing there on the side of the highway, looking back to my house going, there's no way. I can't go back there. I can't go back and find out that he's killed my mom, my brother, himself. And then there was this, where are the police? Why are they not here? We live three miles outside of town. I have run a good half mile down the road at this point. They should have been here long before now. Where are they? And then there's this, everybody knows my dad in town. He's a good old boy. Did they not believe me? Uh, You know, so I'm trying to decide what do I do? Well, my best friend, Dee Dee, lived probably another mile and a half, two miles from where I was at that point. That was all I knew to do was go ahead to Dee Dee's house. So I started running towards Dee Dee's house. And then I hear the car tear out of the yard. And my first thought is, he's looking for me. He's finished off my mom and my brother, and he's looking for me. So I ran down into the ditch and into the rows of corn and laid flat that's like knee high by the 4th of July is the saying in Minnesota. And I know it wasn't July. It was early spring. So the it wasn't knee high, but it was still high enough that it got far enough away that the headlights couldn't see me. And I was, the car went past me and I can't explain how I knew what I knew. But as soon as it went past me and turned around, I knew it wasn't dad. I knew it was mom looking for me. Oh. And so then I ran, I started following it back. And as I got back to our property line, the police picked me up and took me to the other side. Because we lived 100 yards off of the Stearns uh, Todd County line at the time, instead of coming from town that was three miles away, it had to come, the police had to come from 25 minutes away. Oh, wow. That was why it took them so long to get there. And so... <clears throat> and I didn't know that Dad had shot off another round in the house. And Mom and Brian had heard that first round, and they went outside looking for me. When they heard the shots outside, they thought Dad had found me. And so then they got in the car, headed towards town, and then turned back the other way. What a terrible, terrible night. For it, was, it was a hard, hard night. So we, we go back... Um, we go different places at that point. We go live with, uh, you know, stay with her parents for a night or two. <clears throat> I, the details at this point have gotten a little fuzzy. Um, but um, by the time the police get there, Dad has calmed down and everything's fine. He, you know, his fight is gone. And so they were able to to talk with him. And, and so nothing was done that night. Okay. And so we moved back home again. And from that point on, we mom left the car parked, um, backed into the garage, and we had go bags packed in the trunk of the car. 
and dad know about the go bags? I don't know that he knew about the go bags, but there was one time when um, mom had left and it was just my brother and I there along with dad and he came and talked to us. He was supposed to be asleep. We thought he was asleep and he came and talked to us and he was like, if you thought the other night was bad, you just wait and see. He threatened both of us um, if we were to say anything or do anything. And so another week or so later, <clears throat> mom comes and gets my brother and I, and we sneak out to the, to the garage and leave. And we lived with her um, sister and family for a good week to 10 days while she was getting um, a protective order filed against him but she she wouldn't even drive her own car she used somebody else's car to drive back and forth so that he wouldn't recognize her I would be at school and I ran track Mm -hmm. in high school and so my friends would wait at the doors looking for my mom to come and I never stood up by the doors on the on the chance that dad would come by to get me, and then I'm standing at the doors, then what do I do? But if my friends are standing out there, then they can warn me and I can go run hide or find help or do something. So it was a scary time for all of us mm-hmm. at that point in time. Um, my mom filed and um, took my dad to court in order to press to get him into counseling services. He had been diagnosed by two different it started off with one, and then a second, and they got a second opinion that, yes, he was an alcoholic and he needed to have treatment. And that second um, diagnosis came in like a day before I was supposed to go to court with my diary to testify against my dad. Oh my I am so thankful that I never, never had to testify against yeah. him with my diary. Wow. But I still have that diary. Oh, wow. <clears throat> so... um Um, Anyway, I just know that God was in all of that and present that night. So that as I went further in my walk and my faith, the idea of whether or not God was real was never a question for me Mm -hmm. because he had made it so evident. I've got lots of other little stories of things that he did along the way, but he was so evident to me that God being real or not being real was never a thing. Mm -hmm. But I... Because I had been exposed to all these different things with my mom, I had a lot of head knowledge. And so I got to college, and I'm in my second year of college, and I meet a girl named Lisa, who becomes my very best friend in college. But um, before she decides she wants to be friends with me, we go through the lunch line. I can still remember going through the lunch line and her asking me all these questions because she wanted to know that she was going to link arms with somebody who would be like-minded in faith. I passed her test. <laughs> I, had, I had the answers to the questions. Um, and we were good friends all through college. And then I met Chris and <clears throat> ended up moving from Minnesota to Texas when we got married and lived there. And um, we had... Uh, revival that happened at the church. So I went from being Catholic, married in a Baptist church, attending the Baptist church, got baptized in the Baptist church shortly after that. Because not only did I fake out Lisa, I kind of faked out Chris too. I could make him at least think I was a good girl. (laughs) And then um, there was a revival that happened and they were talking about 
you know, this whole relationship thing. And I felt such a draw. It's just, I felt like my insides were being pulled out. And so I went down and rededicated myself because I'd just been baptized in the church and I had all this knowledge and certainly, and um, like another night or two later, God, I just continued to have the draw even though I had gone down front. Yeah. And he really spoke to me as I'm clenching that pew in front of me because at this point, I don't, I'm, I don't want to be a fake in front of everybody saying that, fooled you guys because <laughs> it wasn't all. And so, but I heard him speak to me, if you don't do it now, you never will. You'll continue to harden your heart against me. And the thought of being separate from him scared me more than what people would think of me at that point. Mm. And so I went forward. And of course, nobody was mad or upset. They all rejoiced with me. And then Satan is so good at what he does. In just a few weeks later, I'm struggling with my thoughts and that I'm such a screw-up that I can't even do that right. Because that's something I've been told a lot growing up. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, the, here, here's the simplest thing you can do in the world. You believe and you pray, and you couldn't even do that right. And over time, God showed that it had nothing to do with me. Yeah, right. right. It was all about what he did, it had nothing to do with me. Yeah. And, I, I, and this is going to sound corny to some people, but one of the things I treasure the most is a time when God woke me up at like two o'clock in the morning and spanked me. So <laughs> I gotta hear about this. <laughs> so growing up in the home I grew up in, <clears throat> let's just say that that Bonnie going to college didn't have a very good vocal pattern with her choice of words. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. <clears throat> I had a, um, some friends that pulled me aside, non-believing friends. If this will tell you how bad it was to say, you might want to just cut some of that out. You're just a little little much with your words. <laughs> and so now we're fast-forwarding years later, and I'm out with somebody, and one of those words comes out. And it hasn't come out in years at this point. And so God gets me up in the middle of the night, and we have this long discussion, and I look up scriptures, and I confess and repent, and I call a lady the next day and say, I'm sorry. That was not appropriate language to use. And, and she was like, I have fine. But it's, you know, it was what God did in me. But being disciplined by him was such a sweet thing. Because if I ever doubted that if I was his child, mm-hmm. he disciplined me. You don't discipline if you're not your child. But he didn't discipline in the way that your earthly father had. No. It was a different kind of discipline. Definitely. Yeah. And you're exactly right about that ownership that your heavenly father shows how much he loves you in the moments that he disciplines. Mm -hmm. That waking you up at 2 a.m. that you were certain that's the Lord. Mm -hmm. He's telling me this and and you went straight to scripture and you had that really good renewing moment of 
confessing and, and just making it right. That's actually such a great picture of what what I you know the scripture that says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Mm-hmm. So kind of him. And that's a really, really great story showing that. That you are his child. You are his child. So would you like to hear the cool ending to the story? Oh, yes. This whole story? Yes. yes. <laughs> so at after I, you know, dad, dad does the counseling. He, he comes home, lives at home with us for until that court ordered counseling is done, and then my parents get divorced. He's like, washes his hands, and I'm done with y'all. And um, he gets remarried, and he marries a person who is a gambling addict. Oh no! And all of a sudden, for him, the shoes on the other foot. Mm. And so he lives through, in a different way, but he lives through what we lived through. And um, he ends up committing himself to get treatment for his alcoholism. And he calls me up to make restitution with me. And it's like, Dad, I don't know if you remember, but a long time ago, after it was all said and done, um, we had a, a conversation and I had told you at that point that I forgave you. You might not have called it alcoholism. I called it alcoholism. And that explained things for me. But I had forgiven you at that point in time. But as, as we went through that conversation, I was able to lead him to the Lord. Wow. And he made a profession oh of goodness. faith. Oh. And my relationship with my dad has been restored. Hmm. And that's a miracle. It is a miracle. Um, he did teach me a lot of good things as we grew up too. It wasn't just all bad. He, he, he is a very hard worker and he taught me what it looks like to be disciplined and to be a hard worker. And I really appreciate that. Hmm. Um, He's funny, loves to play cards. So we play lots of cards when we get together as, as a family. Yeah. But um, that was just a sweet time. And I went, shortly after that, I went to Minnesota to go visit him. And it was like he was a completely different person than mm. the person I had known yeah. growing up. That's beautiful. <clears throat> Such an example of forgiveness and, and grace. grace. Yeah. How could I not extend it to him when so much had been extended to me? And that had to be God, because how could you have done it otherwise? How could you have forgiven him otherwise? But God giving you that. But I'm so thankful that we have a restored relationship. In fact, I had had the conversation at one point prior to this, a little nervous about sharing all of this, because Mm -hmm. it's not just my story. This is his story, too. Mm -hmm. And so I had a conversation with him, and explained what a podcast was <laughs> What's that? and and that that I was asked to share my story but I wasn't just going to be sharing my story I'd be sharing his story too and he's like okay just make sure you tell him something good about me <laughs> so, <laughs> and so he you know he understands that he doesn't remember a, a lot of it like right. that night I don't he think remember. He, he doesn't remember any of that night yeah his alcohol probably clouded well, all of that. Well, I think he was having a, a blackout, blackout during mm-hmm. that point yeah. where he just, he, he drank so much and so frequently that he doesn't remember that right. part. Yeah. The moment that you felt 
the protection when mm -hmm. it could have been squeezing the life out of you, mm -hmm. literally the life out of you, and you felt that God protected you. Mm -hmm. That is so miraculous and beautiful that your neck was protected mm -hmm. with, I suppose, the angel's hands That's protecting all. you. Mm -hmm. Because it, he was strong mm -hmm. and in the advantage moment, like it could have been your last night. Mm -hmm. But God said, no, it's yeah. not her last night. And the fact that he just shot the shots off in the air mm -hmm. and didn't right. didn't do anything mm -hmm. else when it could have been so much right. worse. Right. The fact that there was a gun in the house and that's all that happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was a hunting gun. Supposed to be used for hunting. <laughs> <laughs> but But no, those kind those people are usually the life of the party. They're fun to be around. Like there's mm -hmm. great things about them. They mm -hmm. just need to get help for their mm -hmm. addictions. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, that's beautiful. How's your brother with your dad now? They're very close. So when my parents um, divorced, um, my dad showered gifts on my brother, and so my brother decided to stay with my dad, and it also kept him going to the same school where I I would, had just graduated from high school. I was getting ready to go to college. I moved out with my mom, but then I moved to college, which I want to say in the midst of all of this, I am incredibly thankful and proud of my mom. Because when all of this is going on and happening, mm -hmm. she's moved to a new town, a new house. She's lost her family, her support, her everything. And it would have been so easy for her to say, stay. And she didn't. I even said, do you want me to stay? I think I should stay. And she said, no, you're going to college. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there it there was no tears there was no emotion in a you know in a manipulative stay with me kind of way right right yeah it was go you need to go and I know that had to be hard especially now yeah. as a mom yeah. knowing what it's like and I sent my kids off and everything was good <laughs> I know that was hard for her but I am so thankful that she sent me out the door to go find my way. And not just stay with that. But my brother stayed. Um, <clears throat> the things were up and down with my dad. I was in my senior year of college when he was a senior in high school. And I had bought a car. <clears throat> and um, it was a very, very old car. But it worked. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was... It was one of my roommates had had the car. It was her grandmother's car, had sat out in a field for years. They got it working and running, and she drove it. She'd gone away on spring break, and somebody had tried to hotwire the car. They got it backed up out of the parking spot partially, but it kept on dying on them, so then they left it. <laughs> so her dad got a call that she was illegally parked, and he's like, yeah, I don't think so. So she had tried to figure out how to hotwire or to how to restore the wires back again, and she couldn't find anybody who could help her with it. And so she was going to sell me the car for two hundred dollars. Oh, that, my, that's a bargain! My dad came down there <laughs> and he negotiated with her dad. We bought the car for a hundred dollars, and it took him, I think, all of thirty seconds to get it running like a kitten. Oh wow! <laughs> Whoa. 
And then he took it back and they redid the inside like the the roof of the ceiling of the car mm-hmm. had been eaten up by squirrels and mice or whatever out in the field and um, my stepmom at that point redid all of that and they sanded it down and painted it again but when they painted it again the air compressor that my dad used to paint it again had some stuff in the lines or it was just not as an environment conducive to the spray paint and so it had little bubbles and valleys in the the paint but it was a fresh coat of paint and I was proud of it because it was still it was my car (laughs) so I waxed it well what do you get when you get a blue car that now has white wax stuck in the the grooves it looked like a pair of stonewashed jeans (laughs) 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 which was the big thing so we called it stonewasher (laughs) (laughs) that was my car so when when I was a senior in college and he was a senior in high school, I realized that things were getting bad again at home for my brother. And so I sold him my car. I was in the cities. I could hop a bus. I could ride with friends. I wanted him, if things got really bad, to have a way mm-hmm. to get away. Yeah. That he, It was his car. Nobody else could take it away from him. It was his car, and he could he could leave if he needed to. And so, that's a good big sister. Mm-hmm. Special memory. Mm-hmm. How was your dad when you showed up with Chris? Um, I don't remember anything specific. My mom was the one I remember most specifically, because he lived in Texas, I lived in Minnesota, so there was lots of flying back and forth. <clears throat> And so I would go down, and when I'd come back, the first thing she would do was look at my hand <laughs> looking for a ring. Oh. Especially since I told everybody. I just knew I'd met the man I was going to marry. <laughs> and so we dated for, so it was spring break in my junior year when I met him. And we dated, um, we had one little breakup. That's okay. It was an answer <laughs> to prayer then. Because <laughs> he all my friends were dating lots of people and I just didn't date a lot. I had a lot of guy friends, but Mm -hmm. just nothing. And so there was part of me that was wondering if he was just really convenient to say, I had a boyfriend too, but he was far enough away that, um, I could still do whatever I wanted to. Right. And so there was a time when he called and, I could tell from the moment he said hello, something was wrong. So we had this discussion, and he just, he really felt like maybe he needed to date some other people. And we had phone dates um, Wednesday nights and Sunday nights after 11 o'clock because that's when the, the rates were cheaper back then. <laughs> Our listeners may be too young to know about long distance rates, but there used to be a time that you could not call anyone that was out of your region for free. So, anyway. I remember those days. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, we had these dates, and that we we agreed we were still going to call again on the next time. And um, I went to my friend Lisa's room bawling. I think it took her 15 minutes to finally understand what I was saying. <laughs> I was like, 
So I was like, okay, God, I know it's real. I know it's real. (laughs) And then the next time he called from the moment he said hello, we never formally got back together. I just knew we were, we were good. And so that happened in the fall. Um, I went and spent Christmas break with him. And then I was going overseas for a a January interim with my college. Mm -hmm. And so he proposed right before I went on that January interim. And then we were married in June, right after I graduated in May. (laughs) Wow. That's, that's a lot of activity. May graduation and moved to Texas and we got married in Texas versus back home in Minnesota. I felt no ties or connection at that point to there. And now it's 33 years later. 33 years and four kids later. There you go. (laughs) Not without its ups and downs as well, but. (laughs) Well, don't we all? (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you for sharing your story. I know that was a lot that was very emotional, and we just appreciate you being so real about it. I would like to ask you, when you look back over your life and you see how, you see God's protection, and you see those miracles from the little pinky when you were a small girl being healed to really big moments like you shared with us, what are some of the things that you want to say to someone who may be doubting, what, I, don't, I don't even know if there's a God, or how do I know that there's a God who cares about me? Or what are some thoughts that you want to share with them to relate to where they are today? I've got more stories about miracles. So there was one time when Dad and Lorraine were here visiting and the kids were small. Lorraine and I had decided we were going to go. This is Stepmom? Uh-huh. Um, um, garage sale secondhand shopping mm-hmm. and grandpa was going to stay with the two kids at that time. It was Becca and Jesse. He um, put them down for a nap and, and he was going to stay with them. And he, so he'd put them down for a nap and we were off doing our stuff. And when we came back, he had this look on his face. So, um, he woke up and smelled something when he went to investigate, he opened up the door to the bedroom that Becca was in right as the um, bedspread burst into flames. Oh, my goodness. So she, there was a lamp in there, and she played around with that lamp, and it, and it was turned on and sitting on the bed, and she had fallen asleep on the floor on the other side. I went another how many seconds later, and it would have been a, a completely different story. Wow. But God woke him up. Oh, my goodness. And he smelled the smoke and went to investigate it and was able to put it out. But And spared your daughter's life. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, God wow. still does miracles. I feel like I, I just could. There's so many. That's why when when somebody is, like, going to argue with me about whether or not God is real, it's like, really? Let's, let's start taking notes because I've got plenty of stories to go with you that are just... <laughs> that are too much that you can't. Yeah. There's no explanation. No. And one or two, maybe, Yeah, but a whole lifetime of these, there's, there's no way you, you're not going to (laughs) win. I know it's hard. I know it's painful, but God loves us so much more than we can comprehend. Mm. And if we will just 
turn to him, he will be there in a heartbeat. And his rescue doesn't always look like what we think a rescue should be or look like. Sometimes it's just walking us every step through it. But he definitely, definitely is there. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people think, well, I prayed for this, and then this still happened, so what does that mean? Where's God? But you're right. Sometimes he answers things in ways that we don't really understand at the time. And maybe won't understand this side of this life. Mm -hmm. But it's always tenderness and it's always kindness. I mean, I prayed for years for my parents to be restored. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That didn't happen. I prayed for years for my dad to come to know Christ. Well, that happened, but it happened much later on. Mm. Um, so you prayed multiple years oh, for that? years. Five years? Oh, ten years? Probably closer to 20 years. Wow, I'm so glad you never stopped praying for him. You, 20 years. That's a long timetable when the Lord's plan is different than ours. Yeah. 20 years, yeah. And then, but when we reach out to him, he, he definitely meets us right where we're at. He's not a genie in a bottle, though. He doesn't give us everything we want. That's very true, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes his... Yeah. It's not like the drive through window, this is what mm -hmm. I, I want, and I want it now. <laughs> that is not how our Father, our Heavenly Father works with us. Mm -hmm. That's not it. And sometimes his answers are no, and his answers are no because he has something that he's protecting us from or because he has something better for us. Mm -hmm. And we just have to, we've got to know him well enough to trust his heart in that answer, regardless right. of what That's the answer exactly is. It. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's a song that um, the lyrics match what we're talking about so much. The lyrics say, God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when we don't understand, we can't trace his plan. When we, when we can't see his plan, we trust his heart. I actually crocheted that, or not crocheted, um, cross-stitched that for my mom for one Christmas. You that did. very thing. Wow. Because not, you know, she prayed for years to have that marriage restored and it never happened for her. Um, but... God was faithful to her in the midst of everything that happened. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I cross-stitched that for her one okay, Christmas. Okay, we got to put that in the show notes. <laughs> That's right. We will put that in the show notes with the right title and the right, the lyrics. right lyrics. <laughs> well, thanks again for sharing tonight, and we just appreciate it. We really appreciate you, and we, our hope is that God uses this conversation that somebody listening knows God loves me more than I can comprehend. And because that, because you shared, that mm -hmm. that is something that just hits home today for a listener somewhere. Yes, that has been my prayer for years, is that God can use what's happened to me in my past to bring Him glory and to offer hope to somebody else. We're grateful for you. Thank you. Listeners, we're so glad that you were here today to check out this episode and to be reminded of such great truths from Bonnie's story. And you may be a listener today that has been feeling alone in whatever you're going through. And I hope that you could identify with Bonnie saying, 
you are not alone. And our enemy, Satan, wants to make us feel alone. He wants us to struggle in our pain and feel so isolated and like we're too much of a mess to ever be used again by the Lord. And that is a lie. And the truth is your Heavenly Father loves you and is for you. And the lyrics of the song we refer to are true for you. We're going to put those in the show notes. The song that Babby Mason wrote in 2001, Trust His Heart. So check those out. You might want to even listen to that song today and just be reminded that you can trust the heart of God. And like Bonnie said, God loves us so much more than we can even comprehend. And His kindness leads us to repentance, as Romans 2.4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So we can trust His heart. We can trust His kindness. And even when we don't understand, there is a plan. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe and tell your friends. And we will see you back again in two weeks. Bye, everybody.